Hello film fans, how are we all doing? Good, glad you're well. So, I've mentioned a couple of times on different episodes that it is my opinion, and I'm going to talk a lot through this podcast as though my opinion is fact, film is subjective, so eh, you'll have your own, your own, can't even speak, you'll have your own opinions, I'll have mine, you may agree with me, if you're smart, you probably would. <laughs> Kidding. Uh, this one is going to be about why the general consensus about Star Wars The Last Jedi being a bad film is wrong. Because it's actually one of the best Star Wars films. I stand by that. And we're going to do a little analysis of The Last Jedi. And I will explain to you why... It's actually really bloody good. Okay? Let's kick things off. It's actually probably worth me saying as well that, like, I know I'm going to end up sounding like I'm slagging off The Force Awakens and The Rise of Skywalker. I don't mean to just shit all over them, but I'm going to... I know I'm going to. It's just... It's how I am with my opinions and my words. Actually, just before we carry on after this glorious opening credit sequence, it's in every of the sort of Skywalker series. I was going to say it's in every Star Wars movie, but it's not. It's not in Rogue One and shit. Um, I, re- I rewatched The Force Awakens because, like before I do this podcast with you now, um, because I remember one of the big criticisms that I heard... Um, for The Last Jedi, was people were saying stuff like, uh, um, oh shit, what's his name? Ryan Johnson just tore up everything that J.J. Abrams Abrams had laid, you know, foundation-wise for the new trilogy. Uh, And to that I say, no, he didn't. What he did do, okay, one of the one of the big criticisms that I have with The Force Awakens, which isn't anything new to anybody, it's quite a common cr- criticism, is that a lot of it is very safe. And you can kind of see why it's safe. You know, it was Disney's first foray into Star Wars. There hadn't been a Star Wars movie since uh, Revenge of the Sith in... When was that? Like 2006 or seven, maybe? So I think it was, you know anywhere near a decade or so since there'd been a Star Wars movie. Um, They wanted to kind of play it safe and do fan service, but not fan service in the same way that, like, The Mandalorian or The Book of Boba Fett does fan service, but fan service in a kind of, you know, playing it safe, you know, doing some safe story beats. However, a lot of it was just copy and pasted. Like, Jakku, the planet that Rey starts on, Excuse me, that's Tatooine. How is that not Tatooine? Explain to me how that's any different to Tatooine. You can't. It's sandy everywhere. It's got spaceports with like space pirates and criminals and lowlifes and stuff in it. It's fucking Tatooine. The big payoff at the end of that, or the big sort of grandstand finish at the end of that movie and like the big major threat throughout it is another Death Star. Oh, it's not. If we change the name to Star Killer Base, it's a fucking Death Star. It's just bigger. Just because it's bigger, let's make it better. Sorry. 
I said I wasn't going to slag off the movies, but it's just fucking lazy. It's so fucking lazy. So what Ryan Johnson does do is he looks at those foundations that J.J. Abrams built and then does the almost the unexpected with it or the not safe with it. But he doesn't just erase what was there. He goes, okay, you've given me this and now here's some shit that Star Wars fans haven't seen before instead of regurgitating stuff we have seen before. And I'll get onto more of that in a bit, but I just wanted to ramble on about that for a minute. Actually, let's go through some of the stuff I did like about The Force Awakens before... Actually, I'm just going to go through my notes on The Force Awakens, and some of them will be relevant later on during this, and some of them will just be things I like about it, but it will at least make it seem like I'm not just sat here fucking slagging that film off. But... Um... There's some good funny one-liners. Star Wars has always been really good with its humour. Like, Poe, right at the beginning when he meets Kylo Ren face-to-face and they just sort of stare at each other for a bit and he goes, who talks first? Do I talk first? Do you talk? That was quite funny, you know. Um, It's cool to see Finn's, like, horror... Okay, this well, this is something original that we haven't seen before. A defective stormtrooper. At least haven't seen before in the, you know, Star Wars Skywalker series of films. A defective stormtrooper, you know, we see Finn sort of processing the horrors of wars that he's that he sees on that, that first planet when they land. Jakku, that's basically Tatooine. Um, you know, that's all cool. Um I will say though, Ray has absolutely no right to take BD BB eight off of that Tito character. He's just he's scavenging and smuggling and making his way through this like harsh desert land, the sa- exactly the same as she is. And he captures and, and obtains BB-8. And then she just runs over and goes, No, you can't have that droid, he's mine. You had no right to do that. None. 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 Um, the defective stormtrooper, Finn, helping Poe escape, not too many story beats away from Luke Han. Uh, sorry, Luke and Han and all that dressing up as stormtroopers and helping Leia escape. There's, okay, yeah, there's a there's a few different story beats, but it's not too removed plot wise. Just saying, just saying. Um, and as much as I love the Millennium Falcon nostalgia sort of stuff, like Finn never having sat in a in a gunning ship before. Like you know, when when him and um. When him and Ray first get in the Millennium Falcon on Jakku, and they have to evade the, uh, the Tie Fighters, him being new to that whole gunning thing. Excuse me, did we not have a scene in A New Hope where Luke had never sat in a gunning seat before? And it just copy and pasted, man. Copy and pasted. Flip my page over in a strop, and then the page didn't actually flip, so now I have to do it again, which completely undermines my point. Um, I like Kylo Ren's temper tantrums, that's cool, because that's laying some nice seeds for a very unhinged character moving forward, uh, and I'll definitely refer back to that in a minute, so I won't say too much more about that. Alright, that's that. Him being unhinged is is good. Alright, that's pretty much everything I wanted to say about The Force Awakens, I think. But it's alright, I know I said this is going to be a Last Jedi analysis podcast, and I've spent like the best part of ten minutes going on about... The uh, Force Awakens, but it's all relevant, um, and it's my fucking podcast, so I'll do what I want. 
I will say, throughout this entire trilogy, he is underrated as Fook. Um, Dommel Gleeson, son to the fan-fucking-tastic Brendan Gleeson. If you don't know Brendan Gleeson by name, most of you will probably know him as Mad-Eye Moody from the Harry Potter series, or the guy from In Bruges and the Banshee of Inishir. And his, his credits are just outrageous. Um, but this is his son, and he's fucking wicked in these films as well. He He does that whole, like you know, um, not, like, psychotic in the same way that Kylo Ren is, but that kind of, like, palpably psych... Okay, I'm going to say it. He's a little bit Hitler-esque, and I don't... that. Okay, what I mean by that is, especially in The in the Force Awakens, when he's giving that speech just before they launch Starkiller Base at the... Um, is it at the Republic Planets? I can't remember now. He gives this really, like, impassioned... It is very Fuhrer-esque. Um, but, you know, it sounds weird to go, oh, his performance is good because it reminded me of that because obviously we all know Hitler's a bad guy, but it's just a very, um, it's, it's, because that's the role he's playing. He's playing this unhinged sort of military leader with these really empowering speeches, um, empowering if, you know, if you're on their side, um, disconcerting if you're sane, but yeah, he just, he smashes it. Very underrated. I feel like whenever people talk about the Disney trilogy, they forget to mention how fucking great he is in these films. And this is something I have mentioned before on other podcasts as well, actually, is something Disney do do fantastically is the introduction of, um, like, new creatures and droids and and whatnot. And they've... um, I don't know if this may have been introduced in, like, one of the Star Wars comics or one of the games or whatever. Um, And although I've played some of them, I've played all of them, and I'm not an encyclopedia, so some stuff I will either just not take in as information or don't know to begin with but i'm pretty sure this is the first iteration of a dreadnought i've seen in the star wars universe and it's a really bloody cool dangerous fucking weapon so well done disney or well done ryan johnson because you're smashing it mate i love this exchange because it Basically building off what... Ah, oh, I just remembered. I, oh, don't worry. Um, yeah, it's building off of what I was saying a minute ago about him being this really, like, impassioned sort of, like, spits when he delivers these big speeches and visceral language and stuff. And he's given it all of that. Your rebel fleet will be no more and all this shit. And then fucking Poe's just winding him up. Um, and, yeah, it, I feel like with this new trilogy... New, it's been out for a while now, but with the Disney trilogy, um, certain characters like Poe kind of, I reckon they were basically making Poe, you know, this generation's Han Solo, and don't attack me over that. Um, but especially now, since in the, by the way, spoilers for all of Star Wars, uh, but especially in The Force Awakens with Han Solo being killed he kind of has to step up and fulfill that role. And Han Solo, like, if you remember when they're saving Princess Leia and in A New Hope, and he's on that tannoy after they, like, kill all the guards and, like, it's really noisy and the tannoy comes in and he goes, oh, everything's fine. How are you? <laughs> he just, like, fucks with everybody constantly. I like that Poe's doing the same kind of shit. And I know I slagged off Force Awakens for, like, copying stuff, but, like, you know, this time it's acceptable. Why is it acceptable? Because I'm a hypocrite, right? One of the things you got to love 
about Star Wars is like they they'll find a way to make things funny. They'll just slide humor in in any direction. And this might seem really obvious, but like okay, so it's all about stakes, right? And increasing the stakes. So you have the rebel fleets evacuating the um I was going to call them the Empire then, but they're not the Empire. The First Order, which is basically the fucking Empire. Who are we kidding? You know, I feel like J.J. Abrams and everybody had the chance to kickstart a new threat to the galaxy or a new squabble, a new war for the stars. And instead, they just rebranded the Empire as something else and then rebranded the Rebels as the Resistance. Lazy. Um... But anyway, so you have them coming in and attacking and then you have Poe doing his little game with Harks and then he starts taking out all the cannons. You're like, oh, okay. And then he mentions that the bombers are going to come in. So, oh, okay, cool. So they're dealing with the problem. So then you up the stakes. Now his weapon systems are down. So now BB-8 has to go into the thing and fix it. And then all these little things keep going wrong. So he puts like one lever on the thing to fix it. And then something goes wrong over there. So he puts another thing there and like this bit. Oh, not that bit but um yeah they just they'll find humor despite the stakes and the tension and the importance of things being done is increasing but then they're still making it funny it's, you gotta love star wars man even though i'm bitching like fuck about this trilogy but you gotta love it yeah that that is what i was on about i'm gonna say this a lot throughout the watching of this film but jj abrams not J.J. Abrams, um, Ryan Johnson's eye for cinematography and I, don't, the cin I say his eye for cinematography. I, I remember reading articles when this came out that he was often holding the camera. What was that for Rogue One with the director of Rogue One? Huh, maybe. I may have confused two films. Happens a lot. I confuse names, films, all the things. Um, but his... I can't remember the name of the cinematographer on this film, so sorry, I can't give you the credit. But um, the eye the, between them, between the whole crew and everything, the cinematography in this film is probably the best cinematography of any Star Wars film. Just in that category, it's like look at this as it blows up. Not this. This. Like, yeah, that may all just be, like, CGI and stuff, but these people still got to plan it out. They got to plan out the colors, the lighting, the effects. It's just, oh. And just, again, like, the upping of the stakes, you know, all the bombers have been wiped out. <clears throat> Hers is the only bomber left, um, but her co-pilot or bombardier or whatever is, is down. So she has to try and do it herself. Just when you think she's about to grab the switch, she gets rocked, falls all the way down the shaft. Then we get this awesome extreme close-up on her eye with this, with the like Saving Private Ryan style kind of uh, deafening tinnitus thing. I feel like it's just rerouting us back in a kind of realism. Um, and I think Star Wars can be. Don't get me wrong, I love all the like, you know, I was just saying like sort of the laughing and the joking and stuff that comes with it. But Star Wars is exemplary when it starts acting adult. Um, you know, there's, okay, like the whole fight at the end of, um, well, any of them really. <laughs> I was going to say The Phantom Menace, but, you know, Return of the Jedi. Um, or the maturity of a film like Rogue One or the Andor series. Um, when it brings it back to a maturity, it's exemplary. But the maturity has to be prop, prop, propped up by, you know, 
decent real shit. It can't just be like baseless maturity or, you know, like, uh, fuck it. And just like, just then you had like shots of Poe like screaming, but you couldn't hear him screaming. You had shots of the captain of the dreadnought ship like yelling and you couldn't hear him. All you could hear was um, the the woman in the in the rebel bombing thing. Um, th- she ends up being Thingy's sister, and like her trying to get the switch down. And now you're hearing the the dreadnought firing up again. And what that does is it like it makes you so you get all the sort of chaos and the stakes and the tension around you know Poe and the captain and stuff. But then the fact that you can only hear her is like. This is the important bit. This is the linchpin of the moment. And if this fails, they are fucked. It's just a really cool film technique. And you can't tell me as well that that shot wasn't incredible. I won't bother rewinding to it. But where you've got like the camera looking up and you can see her whole cockpit of the ship being engulfed in fire. And then all the bombs drop and then it reverses back up on her. She's looking down. She knows she's about to die but she managed to do it she managed to drop the payload and give us this fucking badass explosion i'm glad i didn't rewind it because look at that look at that you've got the blackness of space the ship going down the fiery explosion in the middle it's just ah beautiful cinema and fucking look at that though cinema cinematography look how nice it is I'm fully going to rip off, um, like, well, paraphrase a, a direct quote from Mark Hamill himself. But again, one of the criticisms I heard about this film when it came out was people saying, like, you know, it's not the Luke Skywalker they wanted in terms of, they, you know, he wouldn't sort of behave the way he behaves in this film and, like, his backstory with the, the sort of thing that made him fall out with Kylo Ren and, and all of that. Or at the time he was still Ben. Um, but he said, he said, I think in, in interviews and things that, you know, it, Star Wars has already had the the old, he does a really good um, Alec Guinness, you know, the original Obi-Wan Kenobi does a really good Alec Guinness impression. But he's like, we've had the old benevolent Jedi, benevolent, whatever. You know, that, that kind teaching Jedi. Like, we have already have had that. Then Ryan Johnson is giving us um, a version of Skywalker that we haven't had before. And to me, yeah, that is more interesting because it would have been, you know, relatively cheap and lazy to make him just be this all-loving, benevolent Jedi Master again. And then also as well, J.J. Abrams and his writing team are the ones that decided to say that Luke Skywalker has gone into exile. They didn't give us any reasons why. So Ryan Johnson is going, okay, you've given us that plot line. I have to fill in the blanks as to why he's in exile. Why he doesn't want to be a, a teaching Jedi anymore. Why he doesn't want to be part of the resistance, the rebellion. You know, so it he's is building off of what J.D. Abrams said, and you're bloody wrong. Look at that. I love this. Um, sorry, I am snacking on biscuits while I do this because I'm hungry. <laughs> so excuse me. I love this throne room. Just look at that. It it's quite bare. It's very simple, but look at that. It's stunning. 
And again, it's a shake-up from um, Emperor Palpatine's throne room. Um, and, you know, J.J. Abrams was the one who decided... I've got biscuit crumbs all around my face and probably on my jumper as well. J.J. Abrams was the one that decided we needed the hierarchy of essentially the new Darth Vader, Kylo Ren. Don't hate me for saying he's the new Darth Vader. That's exactly the role he's fulfilling in this trilogy. He even directly references throughout the trilogy that he wants to be Vader or exceed Vader or live up to Vader, whatever. And so in that hierarchy of power, you then have um, Snoke at the top, the same as you had Palpatine at the top, which again, I think is a bit copy and paste. Um, but at least they've changed the throne room and the guards, because Palpatine had those badass guards you know, they're all in red and stuff. And they didn't do anything throughout the original trilogy. So at least these guys get to do something later on. But yeah, it's just fucking... looks cool. Oh, what a moment to pause it on. <laughs> Damn, that's some cool cinematography and shit. But notice how he's shocking the floor first. So not as to do too much damage to Kylo. But... <clears throat> I remember people saying a little bit about... Or a lot about... Unrightly, I say, um, Rise of Skywalker retconning and rectifying and amending the damage, air quotes, that Ryan Johnson did in this film. And he's retconning some of the shit J.J. Abrams did. So a big criticism that I've heard for The Force Awakens even was um, the fight at the end with Kylo Ren and... Ray and the fact that she, or even Finn as well, could relatively hold both of their own against Kylo Ren, and you'd think that shouldn't be the case at all because neither of them have ever picked up a lightsaber before. They're not as in tuned with the Force and fighting styles and things like that as Kylo Ren should have been. Um, and the justification, and I think it's a fair justification that they do in the Force Awakens, is they say um, he he was shot by Chewbacca's crossbow thing crossbow blaster thing and that weakened him so he spends the whole fight sort of like hitting himself in the uh in the abdomen to like i don't know handle the pain or whatever i'm not quite sure um but you can still be like eh, you probably should have still like fucked them both up relatively easily considering you are meant to be one of the most powerful force wielding lightsaber dueling motherfuckers in the galaxy right now um and so then there was just a bit of dialogue between Snoke and Ren saying that the deed of killing Han Solo was what unbalanced him and made him unfocused and, and therefore not fight to his full potential against a foe like Ray. So Ryan Johnson again, paying attention to what J.J. Abrams gave him and building on it.
So Kylo smashing up his mask um, again. Yeah, like there was no need for J.J. Abrams to decide that Kylo Ren needs a mask. It literally is just, I want to be Darth Vader. Um, and, you know, copy and pasting that power hierarchy that I was just talking about, you know, big Sith Emperor or Snoke or whatever at the top. And then Vader or Kylo Ren second in command. So he smashes up his mask and I was very glad that he did that. Because it was fucking stupid. Just like Snoke said, it's ridiculous. But he, the, they have a really cool dynamic, Kylo and um, Hux, that they're always competing for like Snoke's approval or to be, you know, sort of the, the better. Um, and there's moments in The Force Awakens where Ren's on top and there's moments where Hux is on top. And then at the start of this movie, Hux is on top and Ren isn't. And it's building his hatred for... Snoke, because he, again, he's building on the whole thing with J.J. Abrams about killing Han Solo in the sense that, you know, he gave everything for Hux and Hux's, sorry, for Snoke and Snoke's, like, vision and, and his sort of commitment to the dark side. He gave everything by killing his dad. And he's still not being, like, appreciated for it. So he's building that hatred towards Snoke now. Also, people that find this weird, him drinking the blue milk from that thing, don't know what creature it is, but him milking its tea and then drinking it. If you drink milk from a cow and you have a problem with this scene, you're a fucking moron. And I stand by that. I've seen your daily routine, you are not busy. <laughs> I'm going to say it now before I forget it, um, but I can't credit the author of this article because I've forgotten who it was or what website it was on or whatever. So sorry, but credit to you. Um, I remember reading about um, Poe here because he's just basically been told off by Princess Leia for being all renegade and... Um, and they they were referencing points later in the film as well where he continues to sort of defy orders and, and try and basically be the hero at the expense of, you know, soldiers in the resistance and direct orders from Leia and XYZ. He's a very naughty boy. But, uh, yeah, I remember reading this article that was saying, like, um, it's a really good example in film of, like, toxic masculinity. Um you know, because he's not looking at the the greater good or the bigger picture or anything. He's just, like, solely focusing on, you know, basically being this gung-ho hero with the best intentions. You know, he wants to do it to save the resistance and save his friends and everything like that. But, yeah. Um, and then, you know, Leia and... I can't remember her name. The purple hair lady who appears in this film randomly. Um... Yeah, they're sort of like the more sensible, switched-on ones of the two that aren't wrapped up in like this to toxic kind of mentality that, that Poe kind of has throughout this film. I kind of like butchered the hell out of that, but I'm sure you get the point. It's just a cool... Because, okay, here's why it's cool. Because we all know Princess Leia's a badass. We all know she's an absolute G, R.I.P. Carrie Fisher. So... We need to see her being this, like, fantastic, wise, noble, 
leader of the resistance because who else is going to do it? Han didn't want anything to do with it in The Force Awakens and then he died. Luke doesn't want anything to do with it. He's exiled himself. Who else is going to do it? Leia steps up to the plate. She knows what the right thing is. She knows how to go about doing it. She knows how to make the tough decisions. Even when that includes like demoting or chastising her best uh, pilot or soldier, you know? Because of his silly toxic masculinity. Spinning is a good trick. I love those cuts where it's close up on the face and then between Leia and Ray and just cut seamlessly and their heads in the same position. Uh, and people have problems with this scene. I don't. I'll tell you why in a minute. I remember like basically crying in the cinema when this happened because I thought Leia was done for. Um, but that's a, it's a really nice um, moment between Ren and her where because like Snoke said earlier he's like torn between what it's right you know in terms of the good uh, the the dark side and the light side and everything um and he's already killed Han Solo and that really fucked him up and now he has the chance to kill Leia and he decides not to which give us gives us as the audience that little glimmer that maybe there is some retribution and salvation in his character and then his like um sort of co starfighter what do you call them? The people that are with him <laughs> in the TIE Fighters bomb it for him. And she flies out into space. And now we get into the problematic bit. I'm sorry, but the cinematography... The cinematography... Look, look at look at this. If you're on the audio only right now, jump over to YouTube and get... Look at this! One, it's symmetrical. And you know that's my favourite thing. Two, fucking look at it! Oh, Carrie Fisher. So this is the bit that people have issues with. She glides through space, force pulling her way to the ship, right? And we've known since Return of the Jedi that she's force sensitive. So all Ryan Johnson is doing is showing that between that film and this film, she's had a chance to learn a bit more about what that means, grow her powers, XYZ. And... I don't, and people are like, yeah, but why does she just float through space, like, with, you know... Okay, someone like Neil deGrasse Tyson will probably absolutely ruin everything I'm about to say. But, like, in space, there's no... Like, <laughs> I'm gonna butcher the hell out of this, but there's no, like... There's nothing to put... It's not like when you're in water, if you're swimming and you can, like, push the water to... um not accelerate you forward, what's the word, to, you know, give you momentum going forward, you can't do that in space, there's nothing, at least as far as I'm aware, so she, it wouldn't make sense for her to walk anyway, granted it does look a little bit daft to just go like that, hold out a hand and, and go to it, maybe they could have had her like slowly sort of pull in her arm like this to sort of give it some level of movement, but like, it's, as far as my understanding of how space works, if we're then in you know, we're watching Star Wars, so we're open to the fact that there is the Force, that being the propulsion for her to move forward. It it makes perfect sense that she just flies through the air doing that. People were like, oh, it's silly, it looks like Mary Poppins. Oh, fuck you, man. Is it, it's how it would happen. <laughs> like, <laughs> and people might find this silly as well, but I really like this, that you've got like this family of weird penguin things that are fucking adorable. Watching Chewbacca like... 
roast and go to eat one of their friends and they're all like don't do it it's very sweet and i mentioned it before about the um the things that he gets the blue milk from those like cow things and i was very opinionated about my opinion funnily enough about uh like drinking cow milk and if you have a problem with that you shouldn't have a problem drinking cow milk and i've said it before in other podcasts i am a vegan and say what you fucking want about that but this movie in my opinion is like littered with like pro-vegan propaganda <laughs> so like there's that um comparison between like well if you think drinking cow's milk is fine and you know you can look into why most vegans would say that that's bad you can do that over there you know the hormones and everything in it it's designed to make a small cow small calf grow into a 500 pound cow it's full of that stuff it's not for you you twat <laughs> Um, and then you got moments like this where they're like, please don't eat our friends. We have feelings too, because we're sentient beings. Um, and then there's a bit later on with the Canto bike casino thing where you have like animals being exploited for pompous rich people. It's good. It's good. It's a very vegan conscious film. I like it. And <coughs> that burp was for you if you disagree. So this is a really nice wholesome moment of Luke Skywalker going with the Falcon and, you know, going down memory lane a little bit. Um, and that is one of the one of the things that annoyed me most about The Force Awakens was the fact that it ruined any opportunity to have Han, Luke and Leia and Chewbacca and fuck it, even C-3PO and R2-D2 as well, all together again. I just wanted the old crew together again and they took that away from us. And I'm still not over it. <laughs> but I remember saying, like, when when Han Solo died, I was so pissed off about it. And, like, I get why they did it. And, like, narratively, it makes sense. But I remember, like, being like, fuck that. I don't care about the new characters. I don't care about Rey and Finn and Poe. Fuck those. I was, re I was watching Force Awakens and that so that I could catch up with the old cast, you know, Han, Luke, and Leia. That's what I wanted. And they took it away from me. And now I'm going to go to the dark side. Oh, the feels. I'm sorry, I need a minute. Oh, I fucking love Star Wars. I know I've been bitching and moaning about a lot of this shit, but I fucking love Star Wars. And that hits me right in the feels every single time. R2, playing the help me Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope thing to help convince Luke Skywalker to help the resist. Fuck, I, I was close to tearing up there. <laughs> Fucking love it. Come on. Also again, Luke Skywalker, not again, I haven't said this yet, but Luke Skywalker just then saying, I'll teach you the ways of the Jedi and why they need to end. There's, Ryan Johnson really, uh, there were so many people when this came out saying he doesn't understand like the content and Ryan Johnson doesn't understand what J.J. Abrams was doing and blah, blah, blah. He really, really does, because one of the major through points throughout, through points throughout the entire, like, Star Wars saga, and I'm talking, like, the Clone Wars and Rebels and everything, is that the Jedi were flawed in and of themselves, you know? Although they had the best intentions, they were ultimately flawed, and, and like, there's plot lines where Yoda sees this and understands this, Qui-Gon Jinn, that was kind of his whole thing, was that the, the Jedi Order isn't quite what it should be, 
it's partly why he didn't want to sit on the council, X, Y, Z. Um, and yeah, Luke is now in that mindset. I remember people saying as well, um, I think, I don't want to put words in his mouth. I love John Baega. I really, really like him. He's always, he's one of those actors that whatever he's doing, whatever part he's playing, he it always nails it. He's one of those actors. Um, and I, I, from what I've seen of him in like interviews and, and chat shows and stuff, <clears throat> I like his personality. Seems like a really nice guy. So I don't want to put any words in his mouth or anything. Um, but I remember, I think I read something that he'd said in an interview. And I remember people, like fans, um, you know, complaining that his character was reduced from like one of the leading characters to like basically comedy, uh, com comedic relief or whatever uh, in in this particular film. Um, and, you know, like I disagree uh, because... Star Wars is one of those franchises that has so many characters in it, so many different plot lines and, and threads and things. And, you know, J.J. Abrams set up at the end of The Force Awakens where they were and what they were doing. He had Finn in a coma. He had Rey going to do um, to help uh, try and get Luke Skywalker to help. Um, so there's only... He can only... Ryan Johnson can only move the chess pieces in so many different ways to begin with, right? And all throughout The Force Awakens, you've got John Baker's character, Finn, trying to escape, you know, and, and he doesn't want to be a part of it anymore at all. So all Ryan Johnson doing, all Ryan Johnson is doing is just revisiting that. And it's not taking a backward step because, like, it's not as though at the end of The Force Awakens, Finn had a, a, a moment of, oh, here is where I want to be and I do want to be with these people. His whole thing was only ever to try and save Rey. That's why he went to Starkiller Base. He said throughout the whole sequence of Starkiller Base, I'm only here to help Rey. I'm only trying to save Rey. And that's again what he's doing at the start of this film. You know, he's got the binary beacon thing on him that, that Leia had to help Rey know where they are. Um... And he was trying to leave then in the skateboard. I can't remember if it's for uh, Ray's benefit or because he doesn't want to be there. But he's not doing anything differently that J.J. Abrams didn't lay the foundations of his character for. So I feel like that's kind of a not a fair point. And, you know, just again, I don't want to I'm not trying to slag off John Baker. Like I said, I'm. I really like him as a performer and all that. Um, and I'm not trying to put words in his mouth and say that he said this. But also there is a thing of like, in films, you know, when you're acting, especially in a franchise and a, and a, and a part as big as this, like, there aren't any small... Well, okay, yeah, there's a thing in acting anyway. Even if you have one line in a film or whatever, there are no small parts. There aren't. You always have to treat every part and every single solitary line or whatever it might be as though it is the main character part because every individual human or person or whatever is the main character in their own story you listening to this you're the main character in your story I'm the main character in my story so you give every character that level of life um but then and, and then sort of to 
coincide with that point. Like, without sounding harsh, like, maybe check your ego a little bit. Not saying John Baega said this and he needs to check his ego, but I remember fans saying, like, um, oh, they made his part small or whatever. But, like, not everybody can be, like, the lead in the film. I know I just said that everyone's their own main character, but that's talking about how you inform your character's life and present it in whatever capacity the film has for you. But, like, you know, it's just sometimes you're the supporting lead, sometimes you're the lead, sometimes you have one scene, sometimes you have one line. That's the way the cookie crumbles. The film industry is a harsh industry and no one is entitled to anything. Anthony motherfucking Hopkins is on screen for like 16 or 18 minutes or something in Silence of the Lambs. Everyone knows this story and he won an Oscar from it. Like, did he kick off that he didn't have 30, 40, 50 minutes of screen time like Jodie Foster did? No, he stepped up to the plate and he batted a thousand. That's just, it's not, you can't be all the things all the time. God, I'm such a pansy. <laughs> I'm such a pansy. Like, just Finn going, we've, we've got to do this. It will save the fleet and it will save Ray. And then the, the Star Wars is so good for the music. The ba, 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 da, ba. It's like so, it's like cautiously hopeful that, that ba, da, 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 da. you know, like it, ah, oh, the feels. But just then when he was like, we have to do it because it will save everybody. And I'm just like, yeah, you have to do it. The same everybody. I'm just fucking. Ah, this is my childhood, man. Like, I don't know if I've said in other pods or anything, but like, I can remember watching the original trilogy on Star Wars on VHS before the Phantom Menace came out. And bear in mind, I was born in '93, and the Phantom Menace came out in '99. And I, I watched the original trilogy before the Phantom Menace came out, not because the Phantom Menace was coming out. I just watched it because I was a kid, and my parents had them on VHS. Like, it's been like a cornerstone of my entire life. <laughs> so I fucking love it, man. It gives me the... Which is probably why I get so impassioned when things I see and, and love about it, I, you know, think are, are done well or, or are done bad. Like, it's it's all subjective, you know. There's stuff that I love about it that people hate about it. And, like, this entire, this entire pod that I'm doing in defense of The Last Jedi, there's definitely people out there that could go toe-to-toe with me and tear it apart and build up The Force Awakens and and Rise of Skywalker. Um, And, yeah, it's fair enough. You know, everyone's entitled to their opinion. And I know I say some fucking, like, stonewalled shit on here uh, and, you know, just say my opinion as though it's fact and and call you stupid if you have a differing opinion. But, like, that is all tongue-in-cheek. The point of this speech that I'm doing now is Star Wars is fucking great and I love it okay yeah that was such a great like sweeping shot through the casino like a really because it's establishing where they are what kind of people are around them what kind of characters you know and everyone has this like air of snobbery you know this probably would have been the assistant director or maybe second or whatever um they're normally in charge of like on set and stuff they're normally in charge of like the extras and the organization of that and then the director will be focusing on the main actors and you know the cinematography and, and that kind of stuff so <clears throat> all these extras all they're all they've all gone through costume they've all had their hair and makeup and stuff 
which means they get paid more than if they're just being an extra. Um, and they all have this like snobbery and this air around them, so they're all nailing that. And the camera swoops really nicely along like different tables, so you're seeing all the different gambling and stuff they're playing, people drinking champagne. Ah ha ha! Isn't life lovely? Just a really nice, cool sweeping shot because you could have just done that with like they walk through the doors. And bam, there's like a wide of the whole casino. Maybe do a couple of close-ups here and there of different people or like more um, condensed wides on like just one of the tables that they're playing a, a gambling game at or something. Um, but no, Ryan Johnson, because he's fucking great, just does that really cool sweeping shot through the casino and then bam, lands on, on Finn as he emerges between the crowd. Just badass filmmaking, yo. And I mentioned before that like, this film has... Ah, that's a better way to phrase it. Um, you know, I've, I've said definitely said before in other films, especially about horror, that films that have like some sort of social commentary running through, so the example I used before is one of the best, is that like Dawn of the Dead it has the running commentary about uh, consumerism and things, you know, all the, all the zombies in the, uh, in the shopping mall just zombieing around gormless like a lot of what you see in society of people just like gormlessly consuming and buying and xyz that's the social commentary for that film and there's a bit of, so bit of social commentary in this film with all these like rich snobs just ah ha ha life is so nice because we're rich and, and blah 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 and that leads to like the exploitation of those animals that they use for racing and things like that it's a really good like theme of social commentary throughout so well done again, everybody. See the exploitation and the abuse, you know, and the rich people just profiteering off of it and not caring about the beat uh, the lower down people and everything. It's it's good, important, you know, substantial filmmaking, and I say filmmaking in the broadest terms in terms of narrative and social commentary and everything like that. Ayo. I'm in a biscuit right now, so I won't say too much. But look at that. Look how fucking stunning that is. There we go. Benicio del motherfucking Toro. One of the absolute goats in the acting game. He is one of those actors that will always smash every role he does, but always bring like a unique element of characterization to it. So not only in, in this does he have that kind of like chipmunk kind of stuttery tick thing which is just a really cool thing i don't know if that was scripted for his character to do or if he just brought it to the table um but he has that real like sleazy kind of yeah thing going on as well just like excellent he's different every time he's on screen no matter what he's doing no matter what the role he's always like slightly different and always comes packing heat look at these dorks with their dorky armor they're about to get fucking mowed down. Freedom. Love it, man. The animals get set free, they get their retribution, and they storm through the casino and knock over all the fucking money and all these rich, pompous douchebags. Gotta love a bit of anarchy, man. I grew up listening to the Sex Pistols and punk music, so gotta love a bit of anarchy. Anti-establishment. Woo! We just had the sequence where... Daisy Ridley, well, not Daisy Ridley, um, Ray 
goes into like <clears throat> the dark part of the island. Um, you're the part of it that's strong with the dark side. Similarly to Luke Skywalker in Empire Strikes Back, going through a dark area, seeing ah oh, wait, okay, so all the all the stuff I was saying about copy and pasting from the original trilogy that the Force Awakens did, I've just realized that is kind of copy and pasted from that because she sees herself in the reflection the same as he sees himself under Darth Vader. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I liked it anyway. It's a good... Like I say, I'm a hypocrite. It, but it's a good, like, um, explanation of, like, the law of the dark side and how it can give you, you know, whatever you're missing or, or give you power or whatever it might be, whatever whatever thing specific to that character or, or person and their wants and needs. Uh, and then ultimately it's like empty within. So she's had her sort of foray temptation from the dark side and has chosen to like resist it. It's nice. It's a, it's, it's a very well done scene. I lost my shit in the cinema when that came on screen. It's Yoda for those on the audio only. I lost my shit. <laughs> like, to have a scene again where you have Luke Skywalker and Yoda interacting, I can't even. I can't even. Yoda again dropping the life lessons. Failure is the greatest teacher. Well, he says it Yoda style, so he goes, the greatest teacher. Failure is. Just good life lessons, man. You learn more, more. You learn more from a failure than you do from a success. Or as the um, Dizzy Wright said, the rapper, he says, "I never lose, only win or learn." It's all about your state of mind. Cinematography. Cinematographer. Cinematographer. That just feeds back to the toxic masculinity thing I was on about earlier. You know, seeming she's. Leia's just said to Poe, like, that, what's her name? Purple hair lady was more concerned with protecting the light than seeming like a hero. He was a bit too trigger happy and, you know, not wanted to be the hero, but wanted to do the heroic thing kind of thing. But, yeah, you get the point. The eagle-eyed amongst you will notice that I have changed clothes uh, because it is a brand new day. <laughs> I had some technical difficulties yesterday while filming this and um, unfortunately I didn't realize that the video had stopped recording for a good like 10 minutes and I feel like I was making some good points. Some of you may disagree with most of my points and whether they're good or not but I thought I was making some good points and they are now lost in time. Uh, so we're going to start again now that I've fixed things and carry on from where we left off. So this point here, um, I hope I can say this as well as I think I said it yesterday. But um, this point here was a big moment of contention amongst fans. I remember the outcries, I say outcries, <laughs> like it's not real, there's no big real outcry, but you know what I mean. In the context of Star Wars fans overreacting to shit, as we are known to do, I include myself in that, I ain't that hypocritical. But this was a big point of contention because a lot of people were like, ah, oh, we wanted to see more about Snoke. We wanted to hear Snoke's backstory. Who is he? Where did he come from? Why is he so powerful? Like earlier on when Daisy Ridley's, sorry, Ray, is trying to, you know, attack him or whatever. He's just toying with her. He's moving her around so easily with the Force and things. 
It's um so yeah, people were pissed off about this, but right. So I can't remember how much of this has been well, what I'm about to say has already been recorded, so I apologize if I'm going over old ground, but like I said there was a technical difficulty and I haven't listened to exactly what I said prior. So Kylo Ren for The Force Awakens and in this film as well has been built up to be this really unhinged basically crazy fucking unbalanced psycho you know he's unbalanced from Snoke's point of view in terms of his commitment to either the light or the dark side but he's unbalanced just generally speaking all these temper tantrums and things so what where we've had we've had that hierarchy I remember the moment that this happened in the cinema I'm a huge Andy Serkis fan, right? I'm a huge Andy Serkis fan. I've said this on other pods. I fucking love that guy. So you'd think, me of all people, Andy Serkis' character dying, I would be like, no, I want more Andy Serkis. But I was actually like, holy shit, this is amazing. And I'll tell you why, I, th- I tell you for why I thought that, right? So I've said, I uh, know I've said earlier in this pod, we've had the same hierarchy of power before, right? We've had Palpatine and Vader, or we've had Palpatine and either Maul, Dooku, or Anakin before he becomes Vader at WoW, and then when he becomes Vader. We've had that kind of hierarchy, and Vader, especially in the original trilogy, is this, like, terrifying behemoth that smites anyone who gets in his way. He's just unmatched in power and ferocity and the only person who could potentially overpower him but the only person who can definitely keep him on a leash and rein him in is Palpatine right so where we've had that structure before and in Force Awakens they copy and paste the structure again you have this really powerful slightly unhinged terrifying character in Kylo Ren and the only person that can keep him in check and rein him in on his leash is Snoke, right? And Kylo's been built up from The Force Awakens and into this to basically want to supersede Vader's accomplishments, be it in his power and connection with the Force or just his general, like, badassery across the galaxy, right? That's kind of been his whole thing. So what J.J. Abrams does is he builds on that narrative and builds on the temper tantrum narrative of Kylo Ren. Sorry, not J.J. Abrams, um, Ryan Johnson. What he does is he builds on those foundations that J.J. left him, but then completely does a left turn on that um, narrative that we would expect. We would continuously expect Snoke to control and rein him in. So I was like, in the cinema, I was like, holy shit, who is going to control Kylo Ren now? We have this absolutely maniacal, megalomaniac fucking psychopath with unmatched power at the moment because we don't know now, we don't know yet really that Daisy Ridley can properly match him when he's at his best. He wasn't at his best when they fought in The Force Awakens. So I was like, shit, that's scary. That's a scary concept going into the third film in this trilogy, the conclusion. That's really fucking scary because no one can rein him in at this point. Hux isn't going to do it. He would easily overpower Hux, but he knows he, he knows that he needs Hux as a pawn for the rest of the First Order army. He knows that, so he's not going to get rid of him, but he knows he can intimidate and control him. So with Snoke being taken out of the equation, it's like, holy shit. 
Because how fucking terrible would Vader have terrible in in the kind of if you're a civilian, you're afraid sense, not terrible in the oh that's a shit storyline. But how terrible would Vader have been to the galaxy if he wasn't under Palpatine's thumb? Now Kylo Ren isn't under anybody's thumb. That's fucking terrifying. And this is why I was really disappointed when they brought back Sidious for the Rise of Skywalker because we've had that hierarchy. We've had that narrative. He doesn't need to come back as the pup, uh, the puppeteer behind the scenes controlling everything. He just doesn't doesn't need to have done that. Instead, we should have had Kylo Ren being a fucking crazy, dominant, just mad figure through the galaxy. But instead, they got that. And I, I don't know if I managed to say this before it cut out as well, but the whole... Daisy, uh, sorry, Ray's uh, being like from no one, from nowhere. It it's just saying that like greatness can come from nowhere. You don't have to be attached to one of these legacy names, you know, a Skywalker, a Solo, uh, a Palpatine, like they end up doing in Rise of Skywalker. They make her a Palpatine, and there's no fucking need for it. You know, we got the little farmer. But I'm pretty sure I may have already said this on before it cut out, but. The little farmer boy at the end being force sensitive and grabbing the the broom and like him trying to do the right thing and save those horse beings. It's just it, the film is littering it with saying like, look, we don't need to be attached to this particular, you know, legacy or set of names or whatever. Like if we if we have these new characters and they're killing off the old characters, you know, like Solo, Luke Skywalker, if they're killing them off and paving the way for the new characters, let them be new characters don't let them be iterations or part of, you know, the preset sort of big names in, in, the, in the saga. Anyway, so I thought this was a brilliant narrative stroke. I really fucking loved it. Um, and a lot of people didn't, but, you know, this is my podcast and uh, I'm right on this one. <laughs> also as well, right? Have you seen those things on, on YouTube and that where it'll be like FX artist breaks down... CGI or special effects, stunt teams break down, stunt work and fight scenes and stuff. I saw one, I can't credit it because I've forgotten who did it, um, but I saw a stunt team break down this scene um, and the fighting in it. And they had a lot of problems with it. Like apparently there's moments where, you know, like Ray will be fighting like two guys and then the other two are just in the background, like waiting for their turn to attack and stuff. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, okay, Maybe that's not so good, but the the when they do actually fight, like the one on one choreography, I really like it, and just how stylistically satisfying this scene is. Like, look at this shot right here, right? It's basically symmetrical, apart from the movement of the people in it. You got the reflections on the floor, that grand fucking throne thing in the background, the all red sort of back wall. It's just visually. stunning. Stunning, and then all the colours to you know going through the choreography, and it all starts to go on fire and stuff. It's just fucking gorgeous cinema, and you know you can pick holes in Ryan Johnson's plot points and narratives all you want, but you cannot pick plot po uh, you cannot pick holes in his fucking visual styling and his cinematography and his all round sort of cinema execution. It's just. Mwah! Chef's kiss.
Like, come on, tell me this doesn't look fucking sick. The whole fight sequence is sick, you know. The stunt guys, they're going to know it better than me in terms of the, the breakdown and all of it. But some of it is just fucking insane. Again, just epic shots. Uh, epic shots. Probably the best set of individual shots in the entirety of Star Wars. This, when, this is, okay, so for those on the visual as the audio only, this is after she's done the light speed thing through Snoke's ship and therefore impacted most of the other fleet. Just look at it. I'm going to re I'm going to re rewind to a different shot. That shot in particular. Ah, oh, it's just gorgeous. It's fucking gorgeous. And then combined with the sound where you have that like it kind of goes like doom and you just all the sound fades out and you don't hear anything. You know? But it I'm not even going to describe it. It's just fucking... St it's probably... Oh, is it the best shot in Star Wars? There's a good one right at the end of this film. There's some of the best shots in Star Wars are in this film, and this is one of them. Fuck, dude. It's so good. And people saying about John Boyega not being given a big part in this. Motherfucker's going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Captain Phasma. And I know people wanted Captain Phasma to do a little bit more in these films as well, but like... Star Wars has a lot of characters. Okay, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. Not everyone can be the center of attention. Motherfucker gets a fight scene in both films right at the end and does some heroic shit. He's a great character, really great character. I don't know why people think Finn needed to do more or less or whatever. Like he's solid character. Just good shots, man. Just good shots, right? I fucking love this uh, crate. Is it crate? Whatever planet this is, the salt mine planet, right at the end of the film. I fucking love this sequence. And yeah, it's a little bit hoth at the beginning of Empire Strikes Back. But like I said, I'm a hypocrite and I'm allowed to like certain elements of copy and pasting. And I'm allowed to hate other elements of copy and pasting. And this is what I like. Uh, I love Oscar Isaac. <laughs> Another actor that fucking smashes any role he gets. Alright, so again, we're talking amazing bits of mise-en-scene or set decoration or whatever. And like, where you have the white surfaces and then the kind of blood-red trenches. Oh. <sighs> Casual Bruce Willis cameo. Gotta love a bit of Bruce Willis. And this is some of the most fucking... Stunning shit, like the way they have the the skimmer things, like kicking up all the red salt on these flat planes. Like, there's better shots, so let's find one. But look how cool it is! And I know that there's you know style over substance. Some people might say if they're not happy with the rest of the narrative of this film, but I am happy with the narrative of this film. So there is substance, and then when it's got so much style, so much. Look at it, though. Look at that shit. Ah! Are you seeing this? Are you seeing this shit? Look how fucking cool it is! God damn it! Come off it, I can't believe it. And I mean, come on man, who doesn't want to see the Millennium Falcon dogfighting with TIE Fighters? It's just what it does! Oh, they hate 
<laughs> I love Finn's line. They're like, oh, they hate that ship. Yeah, I fucking bet they do. <laughs> Are you fucking joking? Look at this. The, the entire, like, the last 20 minutes of this film is just going to be me going, look at this ship. Fuck, dude, look at it. Now we have another example of that like toxic masculinity thing, like trying to be the hero and this, that, and the other. But this time it's Finn, not listening to orders, doing a suicide run against the cannon and shit. Just you know, just an interesting sort of like maybe not cultural narrative, but a phrase that I don't have locked and loaded and ready to say to you. Once again, look at that shit. I don't care if you're getting tired of hearing me saying it. Make a film that looks as good as this and then we can talk. I just can't. Oh, Star Wars really does get me in the feels, man. <laughs> oh, Rose just said, that's how we're going to win. Not fighting what we hate, saving what we love. And yeah, it might sound really cheesy, but when you love Star Wars as much as I do, it gets you in the feels. Okay, cool. And look at the shot. Oh, I'm sorry, I can't. Man, just to just to have Luke and Leia back together again, man. I can't. Oh, I think I've seen this film like six or seven times, and fuck, man. I just I care so much about Star Wars. It's fucking pathetic. <laughs> but like during this sequence, this is Luke Skywalker going out to confront Kylo Ren and the. Uh, pardon me. The. What do you call them? The First Order. I feel like the shots in this sequence just get progressively more and more badass. And this is badass shot number one. That fiery entranceway that he's about to exit from. So is it an exit way? It's up to you, listeners and viewers. Badass shot number two. Still framed very nicely by the fire. Luke in the center, well, just off center. And we can see the sort of silhouettes on the horizon of all the... Uh, First Order, I keep going to call them Imperials or Empire. Which they fucking are, they basically are, we all know that, let's not pretend. Have you seen this shot? Look at, so this is from the reverse, from behind the First Order, looking at the, the gates that they've just like blown up. Fuck dude, badass shot number three. Right, and bear in mind, there's been about four shots in this sequence, and they're all fucking great. Arguably a badass shot, a bit more simple, but arguably still very badass. That is one of my favorite shots in the film. That right there, that's Luke Skywalker staring down all of those fucking what do they call them at ats, the ATAT walkers, whatever they are, with the sun setting in the background behind one of them. Come on. Come the fuck on. You can hate this film all you want, but you can't deny that there are some badass fucking shots in there. And again, okay, so similar shot, except instead of Luke Skywalker standing there, there's basically an, an eruption of red salt because they're all blowing the... Well, they think they're blowing the bejesus out of him. Just fuck, dude. The shots are so good. Look at this. This is some old fucking Kurosawa samurai's facing off for... Uh, you know, Sergio Leone, Westerns, two cowboys facing off. And those Westerns were heavily inspired by the, like the sort of samurai movies of Kurosawa and all that anyway. So, but yeah, it's just fucking... Shots like that are just 
when two people are about to face off and you have these gorgeous wide shots. Yeah, dude. Cinema. Do I need to say it? Do I need to tell you to look at that shot? Or are you just going to understand that Ryan Johnson knows exactly how to make beautiful cinema? Mm-hmm. Just realized for those on the audio only, me going, mm-hmm, doesn't tell you a lot, but that was Ray lifting rocks and it looked really cool. One fantastic shot of Luke meditating, floating above a, a rock on that cliffside precipice thing. <clears throat> Two, I remember people being pissed off that this was like the, um, not the linchpin, what's the bloody word? Like, uh... Ah, oh, whatever. This being, you know, the, like the turning point in the fight or whatever, or like the the big reveal. This being the big reveal in the fight that Luke was never actually there. He was force projecting his spirit across the galaxy, uh, which ultimately costs him his, his life because he, he uses so much force energy to do that. Um, But I saw a meme <laughs> that summed it up perfectly and i can't quite remember what it said so i'll try and paraphrase it as best as i can remember but this goes in tandem actually with people saying ryan johnson doesn't know the source material and ryan johnson knows the source material so accurately so basically luke is doing the most jedi thing possible in these circumstances He's using non-violent tactics because he's a force projection over there so he can't really interact physically with Kylo while he's fighting. So there's no way he can actually do any physical harm to him. He's putting himself at risk in terms of you, you, what, you sacrificing his own life because he's draining his life through using this much of the force. And he's doing it to save the people that he loves it's like literally the most jedi thing he could do <laughs> you know when you break it down like yeah it would have been cool to have like a really badass fight scene and and all of that shit but it was a pretty good fight scene anyway even though he was just like dodging and stuff in slow motion you know and then there's that moment where you think kylo ren's cut him and his like feet skid along the salt and that is reminiscent of like a blood splatter going on the on on the on the surface there you know something like um kill bill you know because i always reference tarantino but like the blood splattering on the snow at the end of kill bill one when uma thurman's character's fighting uh, lucy Liu's character you know it's just if you think ryan johnson doesn't know what he's doing and doesn't know star wars you just gotta pay more attention my dudes because evidently he done do know what dean dum dean dum dum exactly Stunning shot. Sunset over Luke's little island in the sea. Pure orange sky. And then his cloak drops as he's becomes, you know, at one with the force. And it's just that I think it's that score. Da 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 Oh, excuse my awful um, vocal rendition of that, but 
<laughs> I can't help but get emotional. And look, come on. Kylo in black, all the stormtroopers in there, like, kind of snow gear. The red burned and charred black and red sort of surface. I'm a sucker for black and red. I think that's what it is. Like, Darth Maul just looks like the coolest character. <laughs> okay, just then, Chewie hugged Leia. Ryan Johnson is writing the wrong of J.J. Abrams, having Chewie walk right past Leia at the end and then not have a reunion. That was fucked up. But Ryan Johnson corrected it. That moment. That moment right there where the little kid force pulls the broom to him. Just giving... It's setting up that there is hope and goodness in the galaxy and it can come from anywhere. Not just like already praised lineage. And by praised lineage, it sounds like a weird saying. I mean, you know, Skywalker and all that. Or Solo, Palpatine, whatever. Maybe Palpatine's not praised lineage, but, you know, he's substantial lineage, we'll say. Famous lineage. Whatever, you get the point. If you don't get the point... Cool. Glad we agree. And what a shot to finish on. Come on. You know, he's using the broom like it's a lightsaber. He's looking up at the to the stars, just like Luke Skywalker would have done in A New Hope, just like Anakin would have done in Phantom Menace. Just, like, hopeful... Young people, <laughs> I don't know. All right, there we have it. There we have it. Um, I fucking love that film. Um, and, you know, if you went into it with, you know, if you didn't like this film or whatever when it came out or whatever, and hopefully you've listened to my podcast with an open mind, and, you know, maybe I've highlighted some points that you may not have noticed before, maybe I've changed your mind on some things, or maybe I've just antagonized the living feck out of you and you completely disagree with everything and you're never going to listen to my podcast again hey that's on you but you know it's my pod and i'll do what i want so hope you enjoyed it rate review subscribe and uh have a good one and i know i I say some pretty like on the nose blunt sarcastic kind of shit and call people stupid and whatnot but i don't mean it like you know you're all entitled to your opinions um and yeah it's just banner so Goodbye, I suppose.